A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey everyone, it's Jacqueline. I have another awesome Rewind episode queued up for you. But first, just a couple of announcements. One, a little reminder that you can get autographed books by yours truly sent to wherever you are if you use my website. It's just at JacquelineFriedman.com writing and you'll find the listings for each book and a place to click if you want it, an autographed copy that goes through Porter Square Books, the awesome local bookseller that is hooking me up on this. And the second is, speaking of bringing me closer to you. I'm in the midst of working on a really awesome deal for communities that want to bring me to give a live talk or workshop this fall. So if you've been thinking about that at all, now's a great time to get in touch. We'll have the details put together pretty soon. Just drop me a line at jf at jacquelinefriedman.com. That's J-A-C-L-Y-N-F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N.com. And we'll get you on the list for all the details as soon as they're out, which should be in the next week or two. Okay, this week's Rewind is called The Life and Death of L. Peril. Here's the show. Welcome to Unscrewed, the show that knows that real liberation includes sexual liberation. I am your host, Jacqueline Friedman. This week is a really personal treat for me because I have on someone that I've kind of known a bit of a while in different ways who's doing something really cool now. So I met Lena Chen, gosh, I think it was in 2010 when she applied for an internship with me. But I knew who she was before she applied because she was one of the first known victims of what we now think of as revenge porn. She famously wrote a column about her sex life and her thoughts about the sexual culture at Harvard. And it pissed off the man babies of the internet. Like has become depressingly, grindingly familiar. And... She started to get a lot of harassment for it. And then an ex released a bunch of private nude photos of her and her life kind of became intolerable. After she worked for me, she stayed in the States for a few years and then I knew she'd moved to Berlin. And I hadn't heard much from her until recently when I heard about her art project, The Life and Death of Elle Peril, which is has everything to do with how she has reclaimed her life and taken that horrific experience and made art and power out of it. And I'm dying to introduce her to you. So hello and welcome to Unscrewed, Lena. Hi, Jacqueline. Thank you so much for having me. It's so exciting to have you here. I want to talk to you about all of this stuff. But as you know, the first thing we do on Unscrewed is the lightning round. So are you ready? Okay, yes. What's been making you the happiest this week? Hmm. Well, I just got back to Berlin from six weeks in the U.S. and had been spending a lot of time in cities. And today I treated myself to a two-hour trip to the lake. 
So now I feel super rejuvenated and happy to be have been in a place without a lot of people around because I definitely needed that alone time. That is so great. Yeah. For me, going in water is always like so grounding. That sounds wonderful. What is the best sex advice you ever received? Oh, boy. Usually I'm the one people ask for (laughs) sex advice. You know, honestly, I learned a lot from people in BDSM in the kink community, um, people who are very much used to talking openly about issues like consent and communicating with their partners. So, you know, even if uh, a kink is not my kink, you know, just understanding the language necessary and being really aware of where people's boundaries are and, and conscious of other people's preferences. Yeah, that's that's been valuable. And most of that is, yeah, reading um, texts or going to events where people are part of BDSM. Fantastic. What has been making you the maddest or saddest lately when it comes to sex and sexuality? Hmm. Um, I, you know, I am obviously the recipient of a lot of harassment, but in recent years, I'm starting to feel quite sympathetic to people who are generally stereotyped as uh, potential trolls um, and specifically misogynistic trolls um, because often they're being attacked for being sexually inexperienced, not being traditionally attractive, um, you know, being like asexual or abstinent. And I think it's sad that we live in a culture where one of the ways to put someone down is to talk about their lack of a sex life. I'm not sure it's necessarily the most productive conversation to be having, actually. Um, and sometimes I also wonder if, if there are more acceptable ways to talk about people who don't have as much sex as they want to be having, if you would see less misogyny in general. I think that's really important. Yeah, absolutely. What is the biggest sex myth that you used to believe but you don't believe anymore? Yeah, probably um, related to what we just talked about, the idea that um, more is always better, like more in terms of experiences, more in terms of partners that like, you know, sometimes for me, like having new sexual experiences or new sexual interactions, it doesn't necessarily make me better as a partner. Sometimes like being with someone who I've been with before and like really working on that intimacy, like that's as important as, as the novelty right? And having like really vanilla sex that doesn't involve props or kinks or anything like that can also be really enriching. I've experienced the spectrum and I'm definitely starting to appreciate going back to basics. Hooray. I love that. And lastly, who's one of the bravest people that you can think of who's working to unscrew the sexual culture in one way or another? Oh, I mean, there's so many people. I have to say that recently I've really admired the work of Rachel Hills, who wrote The Sex Myth. Yeah, we had her on uh, when that book came out. Oh, great. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because I think it's really important to get this message out to mainstream audience. And, you know, with R- Rachel coming more from like a, a journalism and academic background, I think it's cool that she's collaborating with a, a theater group and trying to find different ways to get that information across and to do it in an entertaining way as well. Yeah, for sure. And for those who don't know, The Sex Myth, her book was recently made into a devised play, which had its first staging in New York, and hopefully we'll have future stagings for other folks to check out. 
All right, that's the lightning round. Well done. Yay! I survived. <laughs> you survived the lightning round. I should make t-shirts for all of my guests that say, I survived the unscrewed lightning round. Because it would be so <laughs> weird. Like, people would be like, what does your t-shirt mean? Um, <laughs> okay, Lena, we have so much to talk about. So let's start at the beginning. Maybe for folks who are just coming to your story, can you tell a little bit about your journey of the life and death of El Peril in your own words? Yeah. So um, I was an undergraduate at Harvard. That's when we originally met. And that's when I had started this sex blog, Sex in the Ivy. And I'd always been really interested in matters of sexuality and identity um, and mental health as well. Um, and it was completely unexpected that writing this blog as like a 19-year-old would end up getting me uh, mainstream media attention. And then later that would have such a negative impact when my ex-boyfriend released naked photos of me. I wasn't exactly a celebrity, right? But I wasn't entirely innocent in the eyes of the public, especially back in 2008. There were a lot of people who thought, okay, well, why are you writing about sex publicly at all? Why do you have all these social media accounts? Why don't you just get off the internet? And of course, now we live in a very different world where, you know, Teenagers have Instagram accounts and dogs have Instagram accounts. And, you know, there's an understanding that you can't just get off the internet. The thing that mystifies me a little, although it doesn't because I understand the world, but it still makes me bang my head against the wall is like the idea that these photos should shame you, right? Like you were already writing about your sex life. It's not like they were exposing you for a hypocrite in any way. Like, I mean, it's a violation, obviously, that to release photos intimate photos of you that you didn't want released to the public. But I feel like the assumption behind the attack is like, you should be ashamed of having naked photos. Now everyone can see you. Right. Like, was there a certain amount of cognitive dissonance where you were like, yes, I'm a sexual person. Like, didn't you read my column? (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, I think (laughs) at that point, you know, I had learned pretty clearly that you know, despite being in Massachusetts, despite being in a, you know, progressive academic institution, like many people had very conservative traditional views around issues of sexuality. So like, I I kind of knew that the reaction was not going to be positive. And for me, I I don't know where the shame really came from. in in retrospect, Um, of course, there's like the humiliation of having a lot of people participate in the revenge porn by forwarding the images, like talking about it behind my back. I think like more than anything, it was like the the malice of regular people that really bothered me, Mm. right? Because my ex-boyfriend, he had his issues. He was like probably extremely angry at the way the relationship ended. I kind of cut things off abruptly when I found out he was seeing someone else. I wouldn't take any phone calls, any messages, like nothing. And this was kind of like his way of getting attention, a very childish method of getting back at me. Um, But for all the other people who participated, I mean, you know, I hadn't necessarily done anything to provoke them. A lot of the the anxiety that I developed, and I definitely had symptoms of post-traumatic stress, it was around being in social situations with people who I had known see me naked. But I don't think they necessarily knew the impact it would have had. Can you say more about what that... Like, why that made you feel bad? 
Um, I, I mean, I want to be fair. Like in the situation that was very traumatic, I also had a huge amount of support from my friends. There are a few people in particular who like really stand out in my memory, but like having had supportive roommates was super important to me and having a place to go that was off campus was important because I wasn't spending a lot of time in the communal dining halls. Um, I wasn't super comfortable even like walking through campus. And it, it, yeah, it was a feeling of being very vulnerable, very exposed and not having any control having all of that power taken away from me. I don't know, maybe by my classmates, but like, especially from, from this man, this ex-boyfriend mm. who had like very purposefully intruded upon my existence because he couldn't just let me be. It always felt like there was kind of this looming um, threat in, 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 yeah, in the direction of my ex. It felt like even if he wasn't physically present that there was this like cloud hanging over me and I think that's exactly the effect that he intended to achieve to not respect my boundaries and to make me feel as if like even if I didn't want him in my life he was gonna be there anyways um so it was that sort of fear that was sort of omnipresent in my day-to-day existence and it took a lot of emotional energy to do basic things like just walk down the street, you know, and to to go to class, to keep my appointments, to have a normal life. Whew, yeah. So you eventually graduated and you spent a couple of years here in the States and then you moved to Berlin. And, you know, my understanding is part of that was to literally just get away of, from this sort of cloud that was associated with you and your name here in the States. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I feel like it was, you know, a double-edged sword, the revenge porn, because on one hand, it made me feel like I could empathize a lot more with people who had experienced, like, serious gender and and, and sexual-based trauma, and I did a lot of public speaking and writing around the topic. On the other hand, you know, even though I was being um, contacted by other survivors and there was a lot of... um, mutual empathy going on there. I I also felt like I was constantly reliving what happened to me Mm -hmm. and that felt re-traumatizing in a certain way. So I was trying to like work through this issue by, by talking about it openly, speaking about it openly, but it didn't help that I had this persistent internet stalker who was doxing me and Google bombing everyone I knew. And it certainly didn't help that I was still living in Boston, which is, you know, the, the site of this trauma. So I think, I needed a lot of distance from what happened, psychological distance and also physical distance. And so I I knew that Berlin would be a much more progressive place. And I knew that it was very friendly toward creative people. So I I went on holiday there in 2010, actually. And um, it was right after my graduation from college. And I knew immediately I wanted to live there. I just wasn't able to make it happen until 2013. So you moved to Berlin and you assumed an alias. Yes, I became someone new. (laughs) (laughs) Can you tell me about how you decided to do that? I wanted a blank slate. You know, like, I mean, realistically speaking, it's impossible. (laughs) But I I thought that having a different name would put a little bit of a a shield um, in front of me so that if people Googled me or, you know, if for some reason they might know about my previous life, like, 
I, I could let all of that out in due time. You know, I, I, I didn't want to have to talk about the trauma again, over and over again. Uh, assuming a different name was also about not being found by my ex-boyfriend, not being found by my internet stalker. At that point, I felt like I was constantly being watched on the internet. So I, I definitely wanted my privacy. So that must have been so nice when you, you sort of digitally disappeared. Was How did that feel at first? Yeah, coming from America, having had very active social media profiles and um, having blogged, you know, all the time for, for a number of years and then getting to a new country after all this had happened, it, it was the biggest change. I, I didn't even have a cell phone for the first six months that I lived in Germany. I stopped updating Facebook. I, you know, it, I just stopped everything. Um, I, I think I needed the detox because it was not just that I was feeling stressed in my day-to-day life. My interactions on the internet were also starting to wear mm. down on me. So, yeah, I, I, I liked unplugging for a while, uh, for a long while. But, you know, it's it's kind of impossible to escape the internet these days. Um, and, and if you want to do, you know, creative work, if you want to do activism, it's also a valuable tool. So to do away with it completely, it's kind of a detriment to your career. Right. Can you keep sort of telling about, like, in Berlin, you decided to start nude modeling? Yeah. So it's hard for me to say exactly where I got this idea, but I was... Uh, thinking about ways that I could reclaim agency over my body and power over my narrative. Because I felt like my story had been taken from me and I'd been made into essentially a victim. And I didn't want that to be the end of my story. I was working on a memoir at the time. I was having a really difficult time finishing it. I think a lot of it had to do with not being ready to write about the experiences and not having processed it emotionally yet. But I wanted to create an alias in part because there were creative projects I wanted to pursue. Um, I, I didn't know exactly what they would be, but I, I become really interested in performance art. I was reading a lot about feminist artists who had been working in like the 60s, the 70s, just different women I found inspiring who had been using art to address many of the issues that I had cared about um, and had been using traditional activism to address. Um, so like reproductive health, um, yeah, bodily autonomy, sexual empowerment. I realized that if I don't do activism the traditional way, there are still other ways I could uh, contribute toward this dialogue. But first, I need to feel like safe. And that's why I came up with this identity of El Peril. And I also wanted to find ways to start interacting with men again. So I thought that modeling for men would be a good method because these photos that had been taken of me and distributed without my permission um, had essentially made my body into a site of humiliation. And I wanted my body to be something that I could celebrate, that I could use for a really constructive purpose. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. 
Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I have to admit, like, when I first heard, when I saw the Vice piece, I was like, what? Like... <laughs> Were you like, like, wait a second? Like, she's responding to having her nude images consumed by men by making more nude images for men. Have you had that response? Absolutely. My gut response to this is like, it's very protective. <laughs> I feel a little bad admitting that. And maybe it's because I knew you when, you know, we also had a power dynamic. I totally get that. <laughs> and my experiences have not been universally positive. I've had negative experiences working with men who are, you know, super shady. But on the other hand, you know, I recognized five years ago, seven years ago, I couldn't really have a one-on-one -on -one interaction with a guy without experiencing severe panic. You know, the new modeling aside, like my goal was more or less accomplished that I started to desensitize myself to being vulnerable in front of strangers, um, which meant actually like taking off my clothes was like one, one method of vulnerability. I found it much more difficult to read publicly um, texts that had been part of my memoir. I found it much more difficult to start to have like intimate relationships with men. Um, all of that was actually much more difficult than taking my clothes off. But in a strange way, the nude modeling was just a vehicle, a vehicle for me to start yeah, dealing with men again, and also to meet artists, because it, I didn't feel very secure in my own creative abilities. So in Berlin, it was like kind of like a way of getting a foot into the door of the creative community here. But I mean, I, t I totally understand what you're saying, Jack. <laughs> I'm, I'm very aware that first of all, like, <laughs> it's a double edged sword. The line between was self empowerment and self objectification is very, very thin. I'm, I'm absolutely aware that maybe this method has also worked for me because I look a certain way. I'm, you know, conventionally attractive. And also I, I'm, I'm constantly subject to the male gaze anyways, is my reasoning. So in the context of having photography taken of me, on one hand, I'm perhaps complicit. On the other hand, maybe what matters is that this is just part of a process with an end goal that is more about uh, my relationship to myself than what the photographer sees or cares about. Well, and it seems like a way of you going back to the site of the pain, but going to it with more agency, right? Like you get to choose who you're posing with. You get to say, you know, I want to make this image that will go public as opposed to I'm making this image and then it's going public 
against my wishes, right? Like that you're, yeah. it's, it sort of rhymes for me when I, when I sort of think about it more deeply with like enacting a rape fantasy, for example, like that a lot of times when we do sexual fantasies of things that we wouldn't want to have happen in real life, or any kinds of fantasies. And when we watch horror movies for this reason too, like you want to touch the thing you fear, right? Like that hot third rail in a way that you know you are safe and have control over. Right. It's a way of sort of catharting the feelings about it and the power that that fear holds over you. Am I close? Like that's how I'm thinking about it. Very, very much so. And I think it also gave me a really useful framework for learning how to assert my boundaries because in the context of a photo shoot you know the photographer is not supposed to touch you or hit on you or like be in any way inappropriate and I actually found it a lot easier to assert myself in situations where you know it was a photo shoot and there's a photographer and I can say like this is or is not okay rather than in my routine regular interactions with men a lot of times I have a hard time being like no I'm not interested can you go away? Like a lot of ego stroking, that sort of thing. I, I, and I think many women are, are prone to that, not wanting to reject someone outright. And I found that like, because I had this framework where it's like, we are in a artistic relationship and I'm here to do a certain job. I got a lot of practice being like, I'm okay with this pose. I'm not okay with that pose. I, you know, don't, want this shoot even to like go over a certain amount of time, like very simple things that had to do with feeling more confident about my position relative to men and and dealing with the power dynamics that I think have plagued like most of my relationships with men, most of my life. All that I get, but I wonder if it still sometimes bothers you, like knowing that for all of your artistic intentions and all of the control of the process, those images still get consumed sometimes in objectifying ways, right? They must. Yeah. No, I'm completely aware of that. And I think it's impossible to escape. You know, it's kind of like the decision for me to wear makeup or or dress up in a certain way. You know, like I might be admired by someone who I I don't give a shit about what they think, you know, but I'm I'm wearing it for for myself. And so that's where I think the intention part Mm -hmm. comes into play. Like there have also been instances where I know a photographer is going for a certain look or wants, you know, a certain pose or like whatever it is. And sometimes I'll acquiesce just because, you know, he wants that and I'm being paid to do a certain job. I'll just do that. And of course, there is a power dynamic involved. But I am lucky enough, privileged enough to never have been in a situation where I felt forced to do something for the sake of money or for the sake of my personal safety. Yeah, it's interesting, actually, with the modeling, because I realize that there are also a lot of men out there who I think are, are much more respectful than um, I would give them credit for, because like some of the men who take the most risque photos, the most uh, suggestive photos, are the ones who have been most respectful of my boundaries. Hmm. Um, so, so learning that fact, I mean, in general, it's made me much more trusting actually, and repaired a lot of trust that was lost after what had happened with the revenge porn and subsequent harassment. That's amazing. Is that what helped you decide to infuse your two identities and sort of come out as Lena Chen? 
I think it was a matter of time. You know, I couldn't lead the lives separately forever. And I also knew that eventually this El Peril project would make its way into a book or it would become um, something else. Um, so, so I did an exhibition in May as part of a series on Asian women artists in Berlin. And that was where I kind of did a big reveal. I had a performance where I was reading texts that were part of documentation over the past four or five years. And I was stripping at the same time. It was on a, a public street outside the gallery. Yeah, there's video of it, which we'll, we'll put that on the show notes at JacquelineFreeman.com slash unscrewed. It's really a powerful performance. Thank you. Did you feel so vulnerable? Um, I have to say the nudity did not feel as vulnerable as reading the writing. I've always felt that way about my writing, that it's the most um, personal part of me. I would be far more mortified at this point if someone published my diary than nude photos. <laughs> There's so many nude photos of me on the internet. Like, it doesn't even matter at this point. But I'm very protective of my writing because I think that, that that's like a, an aspect of myself that no one really has access to, you know, not even my closest friends and partners. So, yeah, it, it was a big step for me also because I knew once the story is out there, I can't take it back. And that people who knew me in the States, who knew me as Lena Chen and had a lot of ideas about who I was based on the person I was then, I mean, they would probably have questions for me. Maybe they would start to see me differently. And I, I didn't really know what the consequences would be, but I didn't want to hide anymore. And a large part of me moving to Berlin and becoming El Peril was, you know, about hiding from this trauma. It was about trying to resolve the trauma, but it was also hiding and delaying the inevitable. Well, but trying to make some space for you to heal before you face the inevitable. Yeah. So what have the consequences been both in your community in Berlin that didn't know your history and also, you know, in the States? And what has been the response? It's been overwhelmingly positive. Now, maybe there are people out there who are criticizing me and I just don't know about it. But I've been really, really grateful that I've had friends come out to performances. I've had people reach out to me personally, including old readers of my blog who followed my work like literally a decade ago. I, I've had incredibly positive response. And I think it's really um, in incredible that since the revenge porn happened, that was like in 2008, there's been such a shift in public dialogue. So I've also heard from a lot of people who are, you know, unfortunately survivors of revenge porn themselves. Um, but because there's a bit more awareness about it, they felt comfortable reaching out to me. Um, and that was something that I really lacked back in 2008 because I didn't have an example for what I was going through. Yeah, I mean, you were the first example I'd ever heard. I don't, I mean, I can't say, and maybe you can or can't, whether there was anybody else before you, but you were one of the first to be sure. That's what it felt like. It felt very isolating. So so now, you know, we, we can talk about this publicly and not just people like you and me, you know, people who are kind of like, in the know and, and work around these issues, but regular everyday people. Um, and then like, obviously there's also like lawmakers and, and people who are trying to work to change 
the system. And I think that that is one of the reasons why I also felt very compelled to come out with this story because I felt like after everything that happened, I kind of had a, a duty to other survivors to demonstrate that it's possible to move on and also to, to create something positive out of what was a very harrowing and traumatic experience. So is El Peril dead now? I think that I'm definitely on the tail end of my modeling journey at this point. Uh, I'm, I'm still modeling, but I would prefer to be much more focused on my writing and other creative pursuits. So I, I think El Peril existed for a reason, um, and that reason has more or less been fulfilled. I, I still go by El, though. I mean, like, everyone I know in Berlin knows me as El. And it was really sweet, but after I had my show, a lot of people asked me whether I would prefer to be called Lena. The closest comparison I can think of is like transitioning genders. It, a lot of people were like, well, I don't want to, you know, call you by the wrong name. And several trans friends actually pointed out that, you know, like they understood what it was like, you know, when you change your name, like it's has a very important impact on your identity and it's like sometimes if someone calls you by the wrong name like it completely throws you off psychologically so I was like this is such an amazing compassionate response from my community but no you guys can totally keep calling me L <laughs> because you know I don't, I don't really care you know it's like whatever is easier for people I'm, I'm cool with <laughs> it's not necessarily like the journey is completely over, you know, I'm I'm still writing about my experiences as El Peril, and if someone sees me on the street and calls me that name, I'll, I'll totally turn around. <laughs> and do you feel like it's changed your relationships with the people who knew you as El and didn't know your background? Like, has it impacted those relationships? Um, if anything, it's made them richer because I had always. I'd always used the L identity uh, to keep a bit of distance, but I slowly started to share parts of my story. I would allude to the fact that I'd gone through something really difficult, and I, I definitely wasn't hiding it completely. But you know, to, to go through the whole saga again would take so much time with each individual person. The exhibition was really the first time that people saw the extent of the harassment and I, I did that by by showing you know screenshots of some of the comments that people had made I showed them documentation of my internet stalker doxing me um, there was a lot of material like that alongside images of my modeling work and things that they already knew about and I think bringing it together in the same room was important to for, for, for them to understand, you know, where was all this modeling coming from and what it compelled me in the first place to even move to Berlin. It gave a lot more context to the type of art I was doing here. It sounds like you've not only created more intimacy with other people through this project, but also more intimacy with yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think I'm just a lot truer to myself and to my values these days. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming and talking about it on my show. Thank you for having me. This has been really lovely. I feel like I'm circling back around because, you know, I, I met you in the very beginning. Yeah. 
And, you know, now so much has happened in both of our lives. So who knows? Maybe we'll be having another similar conversation 10 years from now. <laughs> I would super love that. Although hopefully we'll have conversations in between this time. Yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> so how can people find you and follow your work? Well, I have two websites. One is lenachen.com, which is more about public speaking and activism. And then for my artistic work, they can go to feminanongrata.com, which is F-E-M-I-N-A-N-O-N-G-R-A-T-A. And uh, if you want to see my modeling work, it's on lperil.com, but it's not safe for work. And also on Instagram. Yeah, you can find me on Instagram under lperil. And you should. <laughs> It sounds interesting to you. They're they're really beautiful shots. I I love when they show up in my feed, um, thank you, thank and they you. often come with some of your writing. Yeah, I do share parts of my writing on my Instagram, which is a strange platform to be sharing writing <laughs> on. Um, but you know, I, I I figure I'll be a renegade. <laughs> no, there's these beautiful little visual poems. I love them. And you can find me also on Instagram at Jacqueline Effable. You can find me on Twitter and Facebook, J-A-C-L-Y-N-F, as in Friedman. You can find all my work, including upcoming events and all the stuff about Unscrewed the Book, as well as book tour dates and all that good stuff at JacquelineFriedman.com, J-A-C-L-Y-N-F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N. You can find this podcast wherever fine podcasts are available, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Acast, while you're in there make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode and please please leave us five stars leave us a two sentence review it makes such a difference and it warms my heart it makes me so happy when people do that people have been doing it lately and it's been so great and the world is full of shit so like do a small happy thing uh <laughs> unscrewed is produced and edited by yours truly jacqueline friedman our in and out music is by the pink tiles and our cover art is by nicole dodonna and was developed in collaboration with the establishment who also developed the sound cues until next week i'm wishing you safe and happy sex lives Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.